0: Past weekend, Vicki and I were on a flight home together from California where we had attended a conference together. And you know how often I've shared with you stories where God gave me the opportunity to share the gospel with someone on a plane. But this time I was seated on the aisle. My sweet wife was in that middle seat and she's next to a woman by the window. And I had the joy of praying. I, I pretended I was still reading my book, but I was praying and listening to Vicki share the gospel with the woman next to her. And the woman was very polite. She even showed genuine interest in all that Vicky was saying, which I want you to know, most people do. Do not be afraid. But Vicky d- didn't begin by saying, You know you're going to hell. Can I talk to you about that? She had talked to the woman about all kinds of other things. And then she told me later, she said, When I went to the bathroom, I said, God, we've got to turn this in a spiritual direction. I promise when I go back, I'll try. And she did. And the woman was polite. She showed genuine interest in all that Vicky was saying. And then when Vicky paused, she said, Can I ask you a question about the church? And Vicki said, Sure. And she said, My brother, my brother is not religious. He's never gone to church at all. But he is the nicest guy you would ever meet. But then I know people that go to church regularly and they are so difficult and hard to be around. Can you explain that? Now I don't want to let the cat out of the bag. Vicky did fine. I ramped up the prayers even more. <laughs> she did a fine job, but here's what I want. Here's what I want to say today. Can you explain that? What would you say? And I hope you do have something to say, my friend, because that's what we're bumping up against today. That's what we're wrestling with, how the world so often will point at a Christian and call it hypocrisy and say, how can you call yourself a Christian and live like that and be like that? There's this disconnect that confuses me. I don't understand what is going on. See, we're in a sermons series right now that I'm calling Tough Questions where we're trying to think through common objections to Christianity and I hope you realize this is one of the very biggest objections that people give for rejecting Christianity and the claims of Jesus Christ. In fact, social critic and Christian apologist Oz Guinness says, the problem of hypocrisy is second only to the problem of suffering and evil as to reasons people give for rejecting Christianity and refusing to consider the claims of Jesus Christ. So let's dig into it. Here's the first thing I think we need to understand that would help a lot. Number one, make sure you understand what a hypocrite really is. We've got to understand what a hypocrite really is, because in the words of the great theologian Unigo Montoya and Princess Pride, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. I know he was talking about the word inconceivable, but I think the word hypocrisy gets abused far more than the word inconceivable. So let's get a definition. Let's put together a definition of what hypocrisy really is before we use this word over and over in the message today. And what often can be helpful when you want a definition is to first say what it's not. Say what something's not. Push off the table what often is causing confusion. What is it not? So let me make this very clear. A hypocrite is not a person who claims to be a Christian, but still sins that is a normal Christian the Bible teaches that the apostle Paul himself the apostle Paul himself said in Romans 7 15 for I do not understand my own actions for I do not do what I want but I do the very thing I hate what is going on Paul says, I keep on sinning and doing some of the very things that I now hate. Well, here's what's going on, and it is captured. in what he just said, there is a distinction, I hope you realize. Part of the definition of a Christian actually is captured in what he just said. You might not have picked up on it. He says, he hates it. He hates it. He no, in other words, get this, he no longer loves his sin because he has new desires, new desires. Notice he says, I do not do what I want. In other words, the apostle Paul is saying, as a Christian, I have a new want. I have a want that wasn't there before. I have a new desire to please and follow Jesus. But he still sins. The new desire does not always or automatically translate into new behavior as often as he wished it did. And it does trouble he himself. It troubles him. Oh man, I still do some of the very things that I hate and the things that I want to do. I still sometimes don't do those things. So get this. Hypocrisy is not the gap. It's not the gap between what we want to do and what we are actually doing. Hypocrisy is a cover-up where we pretend there is no gap. That's hypocrisy. That's when you pretend. That's a pretense. It's It's an image campaign where you try to pretend that there is no gap. You try to pretend that you do not fall short. And what is the heart condition that is behind that kind of pretense where I try to pretend there is no gap, I do not fall short, I'm better than I really am. Help me. Say it louder. Say it to Fort Thomas. Because you got the same problem over there. Pride. I don't want you to know that I fall short. See hypocrisy, get this, hypocrisy is filled with pride and focused on externals. Filled with pride and focused on externals so that it always leads to legalism. Hypocrisy, pride, legalism, not Christianity. But now here's what's tricky. Both can look very similar at points. Both can look very similar at points until you get up close to them. And they smell very different. What am I talking about? Hypocrisy, religious externals, legalism, just reeks of pride and self. While true Christianity, a born-again Christian, has the sweet aroma of the knowledge of who? Say it again. Christ. Christ. Not perfectly. No, 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 no. But they they should smell something besides you. Hypocrisy and legalism and religious externals still has you at the center and it just reeks of pride. Both can look similar at points, but it's when you get up close, they should smell quite different. See, there's always something missing in the midst of hypocrisy, legalism, and religious externals. In fact, I could change that. There's someone missing, Jesus. It's just still all you on the stage of your life trying to do this thing. And don't you hear it sometimes, even from your family members that maybe grew up in your home? And what is it that we hear? Christianity doesn't work. I tried it. That's the whole point. You don't try Christianity. You don't try to be these things. When you do, it doesn't work. Christianity is a relationship with Jesus where you submit and say, I need a savior, have mercy on me. And you're not perfect, but oh, you have a new power you did not have before. And there's someone in your life, not something you're trying to work real hard on. Oh, very Very different. So let's get it straight. The definition of a hypocrite is not a Christian who still sins. But a person who tries to cover it up and pretend it doesn't exist. Paul the apostle himself wrote 12 or 13 books of the Bible, depending on what you think about Hebrews. Called himself the chief of sinners and vehemently denounced hypocrisy. Now stay with me. See, here's the deal. Paul was happy and knew it was appropriate to say regarding sin, call me the chief of sinners. But he did not ever say, and call me the biggest hypocrite you know because I probably am. Never. Here's my point. Hypocrite and sinner are not synonymous. All right? Trust me, every hypocrite is a sinner. Every sinner sinner is not automatically a full-blown total characterized by hypocrite. Shouldn't I be? No, no. Paul said, call me the chief of sinners. Because when you own your sin, then you get truckloads of grace. And the very starting point for becoming a Christian is to own your sin. You don't even get to first base until you're willing to say, oh, I am a great sinner in need of a great savior. But to say, and therefore... Call me the chief of hypocrites, no. Hypocrisy is pretending and Paul never pretended, right? Read Romans seven, he didn't pretend. Read Romans seven starting in verse 14. Oh my goodness, it's messy, it's raw, it's real, where he says, oh, I have these new desires but the very things I keep saying, I'm gonna do more of that, I don't and the very things I'm saying, I gotta stop all that. I still do these things. Who will deliver me from this body of sin but thanks be to God? through our Lord Jesus Christ, and then he rolls into Romans chapter eight where he uses the word spirit 13 times or so, depending on your translation. And he says, if you by the spirit put to death the deeds of the body, it's gonna be a fight, it's gonna be messy, but we have a new power, we have God's spirit, we own it. I'm a big fat sinner, but we don't go around saying, and I'm a big fat hypocrite. Now, these two things are not synonymous, hypocrisy, and sinner. And so what we're bumping up against right here is how often the world, and even sometimes Christians, how often the world is guilty of to conflate and confuse these two words. To conflate something means to merge two things into one as if they are the same when they're not. That's what's happening so often is people are conflating sinner and hypocrite. And if they see a Christian sin. They're at work and they know you claim to be a Christian, but they see you blow it. Huh, how can you? Or the neighborhood. Or my heart goes out to those of you who live with an unbelieving spouse. That can be so hard. They put you under the microscope and they're constantly saying, look at you, you say you're a Christian and you just lost it with the kids. Look at you, you say. That's so hard because the world sometimes has a definition of if you say you're a Christian, then you should perfectly be like Jesus and never blow it. No, here's what they should see, folks. Not that we pretend there's no gap. Not that we pretend we never blow it. When our sin gets exposed, and it will, especially in relationships at close range, whether it's work relationships, family relationships, neighborhood relationships, we should own it. Ask for forgiveness. And then say that's why I need a great savior. And so do you. Let me tell you about him. Jesus came for sinners, not self-righteous people. Hallelujah, what a savior. Jesus is a friend of sinners. My sin is my reason I need a savior. You just saw it. I wish it wasn't there also. Would you please forgive me? Would you please forgive me? Would you please own it? ask for forgiveness, and say that's why I need a savior. Every Christian is still a sinner, Bible teaches that clearly, but we should not be hypocrites that try to cover it up and pretend it's not there. And so here's what's going on many times. A lot of hypocrites, a lot of hypocrites are just people trying to look religious instead of loving Jesus. Whoo, there's a huge difference between a campaign for trying to look religious and clean up your life and do a list of external things and love for Jesus. That's why the same guy, Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 said, for the love of Christ compels me. When you've got Jesus living in you and Jesus' love and you love him because you know what he did for you and his spirit lives in you, that's what moves you to follow him and please him. Whoo, that is very different. Loving Jesus is very different than trying to look religious. The latter, trying to look religious, is exhausting. And that's why people quit so often. But they quit thinking they just quit on Christianity. They didn't just quit on Christianity, they quit on religion, legalism, externals. Relationship with Jesus is the starting point for Christianity. See, hypocrisy, legalism, and religious externals all run in a pack together because all of it is completely devoid of humility, devoid of grace, and therefore devoid of any power beyond your own resources and abilities. It's only when you humble yourself and declare, I am a sinner in need of a savior, that you begin to get any power beyond your own. Jesus, relationship with Jesus. See, religious hypocrites are the very ones that Paul was talking about in 2 Timothy chapter three, when he says, having the appearance of godliness. Did you know you could work hard to appear godly? Do some of the right things, say some of the right things, show up in some of the right places. Having the appearance of of godliness, but denying its, say it, say it again. No power, no power, because power only comes when you're willing to humble yourself and say, I have no power, I can't do this, I need mercy, not a booster shot, I need a savior, not a system, not a checklist, Not some boxes to check off. Denying its power. What does Paul say about those people? Avoid them. Avoid such people. And then he goes on to say, they are always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. What's he talking about? Can someone pile up all kinds of Bible knowledge and religious knowledge? Can you learn, 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 learn for the sake of learning, and it's still all about you and how much you know? Woo, you better believe it. Some of the meanest, most ungodly people I've had the privilege of being around are people who would claim to be Christians, but they're just religious. They just know a bunch of stuff, but there's no sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ. About I'd rather be around someone who cannot even find the book of Nahum. But there's fruit of the spirit in their life. They have a serving heart. There's humility, there's brokenness, there's genuine compassion and love for others. There's there's something at the center of their life besides them. Jesus himself used some of the most sobering words. Oh, it is sobering in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter seven, when he said, on that day, what day is that day? That final day of judgment. Oh, look at the next word, it's in your bulletin. On that day, how many Say it again. Many. Folks, this is a path that many people step onto. Not a few. This is a mistake that lots of people make because our default setting as sinful humans is works. Works. A system. I do it. I just need a little encouragement as I do it, but it's still me on that day. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? Woo, that's beyond. Did we not hand out bulletins? Did we not sing on the praise team? Don't hear me saying, thank you for doing that. Don't hear me saying that, doesn't matter. But it doesn't sound quite as exciting as what's being listed here, right? And so we even make the mistake sometimes thinking if it looks really powerful and if it looks amazing, that's got to be. And I will say to them, I will say to them, I never knew you. He doesn't say, I knew you, you were saved and then you weren't. Praise God, the Bible doesn't teach that. You cannot lose your salvation. When God saves you, he finishes what he starts. He says, I never knew you, depart from me, depart from me. All those things you were doing were things you were doing. Let me show you something else as to why I think we hear this criticism so often. So first, a lot of these people the world's pointing at saying there's a hypocrite are really just people trying to be religious instead of loving Jesus because there's still lights out. No new birth. But let me show you what else is the problem that I think receives so much criticism. It's this. Many times what looks like hypocrisy, folks, many times what looks like hypocrisy is just the reality of Christians who are still in the process of changing and growing. We haven't arrived. You don't show up, done. As soon as you trust in Christ, like boom, fully robust, just like Jesus. New desires, new insights, an ability to read the Bible and it makes sense, a, a desire to be with brothers and sisters and a, a desire to talk to the Lord. I've had the privilege in the last couple of weeks to be around someone a lot who just got saved and oh my goodness, it is so exciting to see. So exciting to see. You can just see there's life where there was death. This is not a person saying, "So I got to try harder. I want to be a better Christian. Uh, you're going to see me doing more." They just keep saying, "Oh my goodness, I had no idea what it was like to have God at the center of your life—the joy and the peace—and I just want to thank Him. I just want to thank Him more than ask for things. I keep wanting to thank Him more than." And I'm reading my Bible, and oh, 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 and I'm just listening, I'm like, "Oh, this is so good," because this is someone I've prayed for for a long time. New birth. New birth, new birth. But there's still this battle. Paul's personal testimony was Romans 7. But that's not the only place Paul talks about this. In Galatians 5, he speaks about this same thing when he says, quote, the sinful nature wants to do evil. Who has the sinful nature? Every human being. Does your sinful nature go away When you trust Christ. And now you have nothing but the spirit of God. I wish. We wouldn't need a counseling ministry. If that happened right. There wouldn't be hurt feelings among Christians. Christians wouldn't struggle to be a part of the church. Sin is still there. It's still messy. So he says this. The sinful nature wants to do evil. Which is just the opposite. Of what the spirit. Wants. And the spirit gives us. Desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature wants if you're paying attention then you should realize there's a train wreck ahead, right? this answers the question for some of you like why is this so hard why is the Christian life I I guess this is just who I am it saddens me how often Christians will settle in and determine this is just who I am because what God's word says to do and what they thought they wanted to do turned out to be difficult It's difficult because the sinful nature that you were born with, you still have. And so there is now a war. Praise God, you have a different thought. You have a different desire. But man, sometimes it's really, really hard. These two things are in opposition to each other. He says, these two forces, not every now and then, folks, are constantly fighting each other so you are not free to carry out your good intentions you can't just let me give you an example think about how many times i've stood up here and just said you got to read the bible how much of it all of it and some of you i bet have thought i'm going to do that he says that all the time and here's what happens you decide to do that right does your flesh just lay down and say do it do it no 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 here's what happens oh, you decide you're gonna do it, but then, oh my goodness, I it's so hard, and oh I'm so tired, and I can't get up that early, and oh, 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 and I deserve a break. I'm gonna watch TV and see, I was gonna read my Bible. Where are all those thoughts coming from? That's your sinful nature. Getting in the way and resisting. In fact, it's only after you make a commitment to do something new and right that often the war begins. Even some Christians, after the initial throes of, "Ah!" even this person that just got saved, I was glad, because they grew up in our church, so they've heard some good teaching. I was glad they stopped one night and said, and I know it won't always feel this way. Right now, I'm just like, "Ah!" and God is doing that for me, but I may not always feel that way. Praise God for that insight. Whatever you purpose to do that you've seen God's word calling you to, Expect resistance, not from outside sources. Your number one place of resistance will be from your own flesh. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. You need sleep, you need TV, you need, you need, you need, you need war. In other words, because the Spirit of God lives in us, Christians have new desires, but that will not automatically or easily translate into consistent or perfect behavior with those desires. That's why Paul says things like he does in Colossians 3, where Paul, writing to believers, says, Therefore... What's the therefore about? Because he just went over the gospel with wonderful things that God has done for us in Christ and then he makes a conclusion and points us towards what should we do? Therefore, in light of what God has done in you and through you as God's chosen people holy and dearly loved clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility gentleness, patience. The wording is intentional. Intentional. You gotta reach out and choose it, just like I chose this shirt. I looked through the closet. I considered the weather. I considered how I'm feeling and thinking, and I chose this. You have to clothe yours. You have to choose compassion and kindness and gentleness and patience. Guess what, if you don't choose it, could you keep being impatient and harsh and unforgiving? Yeah, because you've got a sinful flesh. That's done that probably longer than you've been a Christian. Most of us don't get saved like I I was three days old and I came to know Christ. You've had years of habituated, sinful living and thinking that will not just fall to the floor and, like, oh, I just love being kind. No, I still really love me. I run into it on a regular basis. I'm surprised by me. Just, just this past week, as much as I love Vicky, it was like amazing. I called her to actually be encouraging and say, oh my goodness, there's a horrible, there's an 18-wheeler on the interstate right in the middle. It's, it stopped everything. Where are you? She, she, I don't want you to get involved in that. And before the phone call was over, I had arrogantly and sinfully offended her, treated her like she doesn't know what she's doing. She's like, well, I'm at Walmart, but I'm gonna go to bath, Bed, Bath & Bond. like, why would you go to Bed, Bath & Bond if you're, you're, you're at Walmart? You sound like Sarah, a teenager, just driving all over, and it doesn't make sense. And... All this started coming out of my mouth. I've just slammed her to the mat like an idiot, and I called to be encouraging. And as soon as I hung up, it's like the Spirit of God said, Well, that went south in a hurry. (laughs) Like, it would have been better if you didn't call. And, right? So when she came home, I said, Would you please forgive me? That was awful. That was awful in a hurry. And we've been married 32 years and I love her. My intent was not to discourage her. But that's what happened. So don't hear me saying, and it's not my fault. It's just who I am. No, there's the sin nature and there's the spirit of God. And so I owned it. I asked for forgiveness and I didn't say it, but that's why I need a savior. (laughs) And she knows that and she forgave me. That's what we're up against. The same thing's going on in Ephesians 4 where Paul says, therefore after three glorious chapters of gospel what he's done for us and who we are now is adopted and sealed and filled and then he says now walk in a manner worthy and then he says in Ephesians 4:22 to 24 you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self you got to put it off it's still there and it would still like to rule the day if you will let it put off your old self, which is being corrupted by the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You gotta know what God says. You gotta start thinking like God thinks. So verse 23, right in the middle of the put off and the put on is another reason why you gotta read the Bible to even think like God thinks and to even want what he wants you to want. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is a choice. This is a messy ongoing process to the glory of God. It will not be automatic. And so, two things. Many times people are pointing at someone saying, well there's a hypocrite and it's really someone just trying to look religious and they don't love Jesus. There's no relationship. But the second thing that sometimes is going on is they're just pointing at a real Christian who is still in the real process that looks bad. Someone could have seen me in that moment in my home on the phone and said, you call yourself a Christian? You're a pastor? You're an ACBC certified counselor? You've been the pastor for, we're not even gonna listen to you anymore. Like, why do we even come to church? Look at you, pathetic. Real Christians who are still in the process of changing and growing. But here's what I want you to get a hold of. It's my second main point. Whether you're here and you're a Christian or not, Here's what would help. Could we just all admit for a minute, right? Could we just admit that we're all guilty of hypocrisy to some degree? Because we are sinners who are hardwired for hiding and pretending. Did you realize that? From birth, we're hardwired for hiding and pretending. See, here's what I think is interesting. I know we live in a a day-to-day. We live in a day that loves to talk about and blog about transparency, authenticity, and be real. All I want is people to be real. Be real, be real, be real. Well, let me be real right now. Could we talk about the elephant in the room? Those things that we would love everyone else around us to do, be authentic, be transparent, be real. We actually find hard to consistently do in our own lives why let me tell you why because of the effects of sin that cause us to feel shame and want to hide in Genesis chapter 3 when sin became a reality for Adam and Eve what took place they hid from God and they felt shame in the presence of each other for the first time. Guess what? Nothing's changed, my friends. Romans chapter five, verse 12 says, that sin has been passed on to us so that we hide from God and we feel shame in the presence of other people. We do not readily want to be real because we fear rejection. If you knew who I really am, you probably reject me. So I'm gonna pretend, I'm gonna project an image that's better than who I really am, because I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. Now, here's the distinction, just like I said about sin and this fight now. For Christians, oh hallelujah, we are the ones now who have the capacity, hear me, it's a capacity, but it's not automatic, a supernatural capacity to walk in the light and to no longer live hiding from God or other people, because we know we have been accepted in the beloved, read Ephesians 1.7, and because I know I'm accepted by him, I don't have to fear being rejected by you, because the most important thing in my life is not what you think of me, but what he thinks of me, and he has already made me his child based on his merit and not mine. So now I can risk being known, being authentic, being transparent, being real. And I hope you appreciate it. I think most of you do. I am a sinner, but notice that story I just told. Have you not gone to churches or grew up somewhere? I did, where the pastor never admitted a fault. He's like a cardboard stand-up character. Praise the Lord. Do the Bible. Do the Bible. Do the Bible. That's what I heard growing up. I always wanted to say, have you ever gotten mad at your wife? Have you ever not wanted to read the Bible? Huh? 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 You just seem so fake and I thought I don't want to do that but what what is it that causes this fear well I guess no one will listen to me or follow me if they knew I actually struggle I think it's the opposite when they know you struggle and you show them what you do to overcome that struggle they say oh my goodness if he or she struggles like that there's hope for me there's hope for me but that transparency and honesty and get real is only possible Because by God's grace, my number one thing that's changed everything is I have been accepted in the beloved. Now I have the capacity to not need your affirmation so that I fear rejection so that I pretend and project an image instead of just saying what's really going on. Christians have the capacity. It won't be automatic, but you have the capacity to walk in the light and not hide. So this hypocrisy, folks, is happening wherever human beings are gathered. Let's not pretend it's only in the church. Whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in a neighborhood, whether it's an extended family reunion or church, because we're sinners that are hardwired for hiding and feel shame, there's always the potential for hypocrisy. It just seems much more offensive at church, and it should be, because there we have people who have a reason to no longer hide. But it won't be automatic. But let me get to point number three because it's the most important thing we could talk about today. Oh, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you're just kicking the tires or you just came out out of the invitation of a friend, hear me. Do not let the problem of hypocrisy keep you... From examining Christianity and the claims of Jesus Christ. Oh, don't let hypocrisy be the reason you don't get closer to the claims of Christianity and you don't examine the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I want to give you some reasons why. Number one, just like I said, could we be honest that we all to some degree struggle with the temptation of hypocrisy? Then I'd like you to also acknowledge every Christian who has ever Lived at any point in history has not been a total hypocrite. Were we to just suck out of the world all that God has done through Christians who were incredibly sacrificial and laying down their lives for others, we would have a very different world. All throughout history, folks, all throughout history, Christianity, is filled with examples of Christians who have sacrificially given to the point that the world was puzzled. It was Christians in Rome that first began to scoop up babies that were being thrown out with the garbage and they were poor themselves. They were suffering themselves. They could have said, we can barely feed our kids. We're not gonna take in this Roman Gentile. Christians have throughout history lived in ways. Perfect? No. But have lived in ways that were confusing to the world because they were laying down their lives and giving away their lives for others in many, many ways that are like our Savior, Jesus. Every Christian is not a total hypocrite. So don't hear me saying there's not hypocrites in the church. Don't hear me saying it's not a problem. It is a problem, we need to work on it. Do hear me saying, do not let the problem of hypocrisy keep you from examining Christianity and the claims of Jesus Christ. Let me illustrate it for you this way. It's springtime, right? I love it. It's my wife's favorite season. She loves it. Birds are chirping and singing. Flowers are sprouting up and budding and popping through the earth. And some of you love to get your hands in the soil. You love plants and growing. And so you're planning on a garden. You're already getting excited. Heart's beating a little faster. You're tilling the soil, you're choosing the best seed, you're gonna work hard, water and fertilize. But let me ask you, will there be any weeds in that garden? Yeah, you better believe it. Yes, you say, Brad, what's your point? Here's my point if I have weeds in my garden, I have a problem. But those weeds, those weeds don't cause me to question the existence of real tomatoes and onions and lettuce and cucumbers and pole beans. They still exist. The existence of weeds does not mean there's no real tomatoes and onions and uh-uh. Should the presence of hypocrites nullify, hypocrites or counterfeits, nullify the fact that there are genuine Christians? No. No. Remember the movie Catch Me If You Can starring Leonardo DiCaprio? If you saw the movie, then you know it was based on a true life story of a man that before his 19th birthday had already posed as an airline pilot, a medical doctor, and a an attorney in Louisiana. Wow, before he was caught, before it all came crashing down. So let me ask you, does the fact that he was a fraud mean that there are no certified airline pilots in the industry and I will never fly again? Does it mean that every physician is a quack and has no training and cannot help you? Does it mean that every attorney is a shyster that's just trying to take your money? And if I showed you a counterfeit $50 bill, does it mean you would tear up the one your grandpa sends you in your Christmas card? Does the fact that Picasso prints are available nullify the existence of an original? And does the fact that you can buy on the shopping network channel a cubic zirconium ring mean that there's no genuine diamonds anywhere on any woman's hand? I think you know the answers, no, no, no. In fact, listen to this, the existence of counterfeits gives proof to the existence and value of the original. You only counterfeit what is worth counterfeiting. Jesus himself gave the illustration, you remember this? Jesus himself gave the illustration of the wheat and the tares regarding the church. That there's gonna be a mix all throughout history until he returns. There's gonna be a mix. Wheat, the real thing. Genuine born again Christians who love Jesus and tares, another word for weeds. And what was his answer? In the story he said, leave it alone. Leave it alone. Just keep it that way because God on that day will sort it out. He'll separate the wheat from the tares and until then... You live for Jesus. Oh, if you're here today and this has been your objection that there's hypocrisy, please don't turn away from Jesus Christ because of weeds. There has always been wheat and weeds. But there is a real Jesus who has truly changed lives dramatically. And mine is one of them. Among millions of others. Let me give you another reason to not let the objection of hypocrisy keep you from Jesus. All Christians are not hypocrites. But secondly, guess what? Hey, if you hate hypocrisy, oh, you and Jesus already agree on something. You're closer to him than you realize already. Listen, if hypocrites make you angry, you and Jesus are already on the same page. You may disagree with what he says about your sexuality, your mouth, and your money. But if you hate hypocrites, you and Jesus are the same There was nothing that Jesus got angrier about and no one that he railed against more than hypocrites. Do you realize that? That is so sweet when you read through the gospels. You see his response to true sinners was compassion. Whether it was a robber, whether it was a prostitute, whether it was someone caught in the very act of adultery, his response to sinners was compassion but he railed against hypocrisy, religious hypocrites. It was all about them, and they're focused on externals. Matthew chapter 23 is one of those chapters in the Bible where Jesus unleashes a string of woes. He uses that phrase six times where he says, woe, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And in verse 27 and 28, it captures the heart, of what he's so upset about. When he says, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs. Whitewashed was what they did, is to paint the outside of something and make it look better. But inside are dead men's bones. See, the Christian may not look perfect on the outside, we never will, but inside's not death. Life, life, life. And there's not the smell of stench and self and pride and self-righteousness and list-keeping. There's the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ that trickles through even what looks like a crumbly, broken, there's cracks, there's problems, everything isn't right. But when you get close to a true Christian who's been born again and there's life, you smell something besides them. Jesus railed against hypocrisy. So listen to me, the ultimate issue about Christianity is the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so the most important question you could ask is was Jesus a hypocrite? Was Jesus a hypocrite? That's the most important question you could ask. And the answer from scriptures and all the testimony of history is absolutely not. Jesus was not a hypocrite and is the only person or example you can find that will never disappoint you even as Jesus stood in his trial hours before his crucifixion he actually challenged his accusers boldly and he said this in John 8:46 which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin wow what a bold challenge and he alone could do this because he's free from sin and later that night in his trial Matthew records this, it says in Matthew 26 the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death but they did not find any though many false witnesses came forward, the enemies of Jesus had to manufacture false evidence Evidence to get him out of the way. False evidence. Why? Because he was not a hypocrite. In fact, the only perfect man who ever lived. Oh, Christianity does not stand or fall. Listen to me on the way Christians throughout history have acted. You can find points in history that you'd say, That's horrible. I can't believe you did that. And in the name of Jesus, you did that. Yeah. Christianity does not stand or fall on how Christians throughout history have acted or on how Christians are acting today. Christianity stands and falls on the person of Jesus Christ who lived consistently with everything he taught and then gave his life for those who do not. In other words, Christianity presents a perfect savior for sinful imperfect people. And so if you're here and the question for you very often has been but what about all the hypocrites in the in the church? Then I have a question for you if you'd say that's been your big objection. I don't want to make you mad, but I really want you to think about it. is that really the reason you've rejected Christianity and you refuse to get closer to Jesus or is it an excuse? If you were honest, I think you'd have to admit that more often than not, the church is so full of hypocrites is an excuse that people use as a defense mechanism that keeps them from having to deal with the real question of who is Jesus and what has he done? Because that frightens us. It's easy to find some Christian that you could say, because of that, because of my Uncle Freddie, because of that next door neighbor that went to church. It's easy to find someone you say, and therefore now I'm done with Christianity. But is it because you want to be done? with Christianity because you want to hold on to your own life because you do not want to submit to any higher authority. Just like we fear being known, we fear losing control of our lives. We hold on, we hold on. Now I have an excuse to hold on. I've seen a hypocrite or a string of so-called hypocrites. The question is not who Christians are and what they're doing it's who Jesus is and what he's done that's the question to examine Jesus is the only one who could ever rescue us from hypocrisy and rescue us from the dead end of religion that's comprised of outward external list keeping and rules the only way you see a genuine heart change Is when you submit and come to the end of yourself and say, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and you surrender your life. And say, save me. Save me from me. Save me. Oh, listen to me today. Come to Christ. I'm not asking you to come to the church. I'm asking you to come to Christ. You start with Christ. And then you'll find that he calls you to the church even with its mess, because that's his bride. And that's where he intends for us to grow in the midst of that mess. But don't start there. Don't say, well, I'm not even, the church, set the church aside for a minute. Jesus, 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 who said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Jesus, who loved the truth, lived the truth, and said that he is the truth. He said in John 14, six, I am, not one of many ways, the way. I am the life, I am the. No one comes to the Father except through me. Come home, come home. Your flesh tells you to fear this, that it would be the worst thing that could ever happen to you to lose control of your life. Listen to me, it's the best thing. You'll be coming home, you'll have a freedom, you'll have a joy, you'll have a sense of purpose that you'll never find in holding on to your life. Come to Christ. He's a friend of sinners. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for clarification from your word regarding religion, external, outward, image and projection versus relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for not giving us another religion. The world was filled with religion already. Thank you for sending your son into this world to lay down his perfect life in payment for pretenders. In payment for robbers and prostitutes and liars and greedy people and prideful people and on and on and on and on. Thank you for rescuing us. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.